High Horse Rampage by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. High Horse Rampage by Robert Howard. I got a letter from Aunt Saragossa Grimes the other day, which said, Dear Breckenridge, I believe time is softening your cousin Bearfield Buckner's feelings toward you. He was over here to supper the other night, just after he shot the three Evans boys, and he was in the best humor I seen him in since he got back from Colorado. So I just kind of casually mentioned you, and he didn't turn near as purple as he used to every time he heard your name mentioned. He just kind of got a little green around the ears, and that might have been on account of him choking on the bar meat he was eating. And all he said was he was going to beat your brains out with a post-oak mall if he ever catched up with you which is the mildest remark he's made about you since he got back to Texas. I believe he's practically give up the idea of sculping you alive and leaving you on the prairie for the buzzards with both legs broke like he used to swear was his sole ambition. I believe in a year or so it would be safe for you to meet dear cousin Bearfield and if you do have to shoot him, I hope you'll be broad-minded and shoot him in some place which ain't vital, because, after all, you know it was your fault to begin with. We're all well, and nothing's happened to speak of, except Joe Allison got a arm-broke arguing politics with Cousin Bearfield. Hoping you air the same, I begs to remain. Your lovin' Aunt Saragossa. It's hardenin' to know a man's kin is thinkin' kindly of him and forgettin' petty grudges. But I can see that Bearfield has been misrepresentin' things and pisonin' Aunt Saragossa's mind agin me. Otherwise she wouldn't have made that there remark about it bein' my fault. All fair-minded men knows that what happened weren't my fault, that is, all except Bearfield, and he's naturally prejudiced because most of it happened to him. I knowed Bearfield was somewheres in Colorado when I joined up with old man Brant Mulholland to make a cattle drive from the Pecos to the Platte, but that didn't have nothing to do with it. I expects to run into Bearfield almost any place where the liquor is red and the shotguns is sawed offs. He's a liar when he says I come into the high horse country a purpose to wreck his life and ruin his career. Everything I'd done to him was in kindness and kindredly affection, but he ain't got no gratitude. When I think of the javelina meat I ate and the barefoot bandits I had to associate with, whilst living in old Mexico to avoid having to kill that worthless critter, his present attitude embitters me. 
I never had no notion of visiting High Horse in the first place, but we run out of grub a few miles north of there, so what does old man Mulholland do but rout me out of my blankets before daylight and says, I want you to take that chuck wagon to High Horse and buy some grub. Here's fifty bucks if you spends a penny of that for anything but bacon, beans, flour, salt, and coffee, I'll have your life, big as you be. Why don't you send the cook, I demanded. He's laying helpless in a chaparral thicket, reeking from the fumes of vanilla extract, says old man Mulholland. Anyway, you're responsible for this famine. But for your inhuman appetite, we'd a had enough grub to last the whole drive. Get going. You're the only man in the string I trust with money, and I don't trust you no further than I can heave a bull by the tail. Us Elkins is sensitive about such remarks, but old man Mulholland was born with a conviction that everybody is out to swindle him, so I maintained a dignified silence outside of telling him to go to hell, and harnessed the mules to the chuck wagon and headed for Antioch. I led Captain Kidd behind the wagon, cause I knowed if I left him unguarded, he'd kill every he-hoss in the camp before I got back. Well, just as I was coming to the forks where the trail to Gallego splits off from the high horse road, I heard somebody behind me thumping a banjo and singing, Old Nora, he did build the ark. So I pulled up and pretty soon round the bend come the derndest looking rig I'd seen since the circus come to war paint. It was a buggy, all painted red, white, and blue, and drawed by a couple of wall-eyed pintos, and they was a feller in it with a long-tailed coat and a plug hat and fancy checked vest and a cross-eyed nigger playing a banjer with a monkey set in his shoulder. The white man taking off his plug hat made me a bow and says, Greetings, my mastodonic friend. Can you inform me which of these roads leads to the fair city of High Horse? That's leading south, I says. T'other'n goes east to Gallego. Are you all part of a circus? I resents the implication, says he. In me, you behold the greatest friend to humanity since the inventor of corn liquor. I am Professor Horace J. Latimer inventor and sole distributor of that boon to suffering humanity, Latimer's Lenative Local Elixir, good for man or beast. He then heisted a jug out from under the seat and showed it to me and a young feller which had just rode up along the road from Gallego. A sure cure, says he. Have you a hoss which has nibbled the seductive local weed? That huge brute you've got tied to the in-gate there looks remarkable wild in his eye now. He ain't loco, I says. He's just bloodthirsty. Then I bid you both a very good day, sirs, says he. I must be on my way to allay the sufferings of mankind. I trust we shall meet in high horse. 
So he drove on, and I started to cluck to the mules, when a young feller from Gallego, which had been eyeing me very close, he says, Ain't you Breckenridge Elkins? When I says I was, he says with some bitterness, That there professor don't have to go to a high horse to find locoed critters. There's a man in Gallego right now, crazy as a bedbug. It's your own cousin, Bearfield Buckner. What? says I with a violent start, because they hadn't never been no insanity in the family before. Only Bearfield's great-grand-uncle Esau, who once voted again Hickory Jackson, but he recovered before the next election. It's the truth, says the young feller. He's suffering from a hallucination that he's going to marry a gal over to a high horse by the name of Ann Wilkins. They ain't even no gal there by that name. He was having a fit in the saloon when I left. Me not bearing to look on the ruins of a once noble character. I'm feared he'll do hisself a injury if he ain't restrained. Hell's fire, I said in a great agitation. Is that the truth? True as my name's Lem Campbell, he declared. I thought being as how you're a relation of his'n, if you could kind of get him out to my cabin a few miles south of Gallego and keep him there a few days, maybe he might get his mind back. I'll do better than that, I says, jumping out of the wagon and tying the mules. Foller me, I says, forking Captain Kidd. The professor's buggy was just going out of sight around a bend, and I lit out after it. I was well ahead of Lem Campbell when I overtaken it. I pulled up beside it in a cloud of dust and demanded, You say that stuff cures man or beast? Absolutely, declared Latimer. Well, turn around and head for Gallego, I said. I got you a patient. But Gallego is but a small island village, he demurs. There's a railroad and many saloons at High Horse, and with a human reason at stake. You sets and maunders about railroads, I roared, drawing a forty-five and impulsively shooting a few buttons off his coat. I buys your whole load of loco liquor. Turn around and head for Gallego. I wouldn't think of arguing, says he, turning pale. Meshack, don't you hear the gentleman? Get out from under that seat and turn these hosses around. Yes, sir, says Meshack, and they swung round, just as Lem Campbell galloped up. I hauled out the wad old man Mulholland gimme, and says to him, Take this dough on the high horse and buy some grub and have it sent out to old man Mulholland's cow camp on the little Yankton. I'm going to Gallego, and I'll need the wagon to lug Cousin Bearfield in. I'll take the grub out myself, he declared, grabbing the wad. I knowed I could depend on you as soon as I seen you. So he told me how to get to his cabin, then lit out for High Horse, and I headed back up the trail. When I passed the buggy, I hollered, Foller me into Gallego. One of you drive the chuck wagon which is standing at the forks, and don't try to shake me as soon as I get out of sight, neither. 
"'I wouldn't think of such a thing,' says Latimer with a slight shudder. "'Go ahead, and fear not. We'll follow you as fast as we can.' So I dusted the trail for Gallego. It weren't much of a town, only just one saloon, and as I rode in I heard a baller in the saloon and the door flew open, and three or four fellows come sailing out on their heads and picked theirselves up and tore out up the street. Yeah, I says to myself, Cousin Bearfield's in town all right. Gallego looked about like any town does when Bearfield is celebrating. The stores had their doors locked and the shutters up. Nobody was on the streets. And off down across the flat, I seen a man which I'd taken to be the sheriff spurring his hoss for the hills. I tied Captain Kidd to the hitch rail, and as I approached the saloon, I nearly fell over a feller which was crawling around on his all fours with a bartender's apron on and both eyes swelled shut. Don't shoot, says he. I give up. What happened? I asked. The last thing I remember was telling a feller named Buckner that the democratic platform was silly, says he. Then I I think the roof must have fell in or something. Surely one man couldn't have did all of this to me. You don't know my cousin Bearfield, I assured him as I stepped over him and went through the door which was tore off its hinges. I'd begun to think that maybe Lem Campbell had exaggerated about Bearfield. He seemed to be acting in just his ordinary normal manner. But an instant later I changed my mind. Bearfield was standing at the bar in solitary grandeur, pouring himself a drink, and he was wearing the damnedest-looking red, yaller, green, and purple shirt ever I seen in my life. What, I demanded in horror, is that thing you got on? If you're referring to my shirt, he retorted with irritation, it's the classiest piece of goods I could find in Denver. I bought it special for my wedding. It's true, I moaned. He's crazy as hell. I know no sane man would wear a shirt like that. What's crazy about getting married? He snarled, biting the neck off of a bottle and taking a big snort. Folks does it every day. I walked round him cautious, sizing him up and down, which seemed to exasperate him considerable. "'What the hell's the matter with you?' he roared, hitching his harness forward. "'I got a good mind to be calm, Cousin Bearfield,' I soothed him. "'Who's this gal you imagine you're going to marry?' "'I don't imagine nothing about it, you ignorant ape,' he retorts cantankerously. Her name's Ann Wilkins, and she lives in High Horse. I'm riding over there right away, and we gets hitched today. I shaken my head mournfully and says, You must a inherited this from your great-granduncle Esau. Perhaps always said Esau's insanity might crop out in the Buckners again sometime. But don't worry. Esau was cured and voted a straight democratic ticket the rest of his life. You can be cured too, Bearfield, and I'm here to do it. Come with me, Bearfield, I says. 
getting a good rasslin' grip on his neck. Consarn it, says Cousin Bearfield, and went into action. We went to the floor together and started rolling in the general direction of the back door, and every time he comes up on top he'd bang my head again in the floor, which soon became very irksome. However, about the tenth revolution, I come up on top and pried my thumb out of his teeth, and said, Bearfield, I don't want to have to use force with you, but, oh, that was on account of him kicking me in the back of the neck. My motives was of the loftiest, and they weren't no use in the saloon owner bellyaching the way he done afterwards. Was it my fault if Bearfield missed me with a five-gallon demijohn and busted the mirror behind the bar? Could I help it if Bearfield wrecked the billiard table when I knocked him through it? As for the stove which got busted, all I got to say is that self-preservation is the first law of nature. If I hadn't hit Bearfield with the stove, he would have undoubtedly scrambled my features with that busted beer mug he was trying to use like brass knucks. I've heard maniacs fight awful, but I don't know as Bearfield fit any different than usual. He hadn't forgot his old trick of hooking his spur in my neck whilst we was rolling around on the floor, and when he knocked me down with the roulette wheel and started jumping on me with both feet, I thought for a minute I was going to weaken. But the shame of having a maniac in the family revived me, and I throwed him off and riz and tore up a section of the brass footrail and wrapped it round his head. Cousin Bearfield dropped the buoy he'd just drawed and collapsed. I wiped the blood off of my face and discovered I could still see out of one eye. I pried the brass rail off of Cousin Bearfield's head and dragged him out onto the porch by a hind leg, just as Professor Latimer drove up in his buggy. Meshack was behind him in the chuck wagon with the monkey, and his eyes was as big and white as saucers. "'Where's the patient?' asked Latimer, and I said, "'This here's him. Throw me a rope out of that wagon. We takes him to Lem Campbell's cabin where we can dose him till he recovers his reason.' Quite a crowd gathered whilst I was tying him up, and I don't believe Cousin Bearfield had many friends in Gallego by the remarks they made. When I lifted his limp carcass up into the wagon, one of them asked me if I was a law, and when I replied I weren't, pretty short, he says to the crowd, Why, hell then, boys, what's to keep us from paying Buckner back for all the lickings he'd give us? I tell you, it's our chance. He's unconscious and tied up, and this here feller ain't no sheriff. Get a rope, howled somebody. We'll hang him. They begun to surge forwards, and Latimer and Meshack was so scared they couldn't hardly hold the lines but I mounted my hoss and pulled my pistols, and says, Meshack, swing that chuck wagon and head south. Professor, you follow him. Hey, you, get away from them mules. One of the crowd had tried to grab their bridles and stop em, so I shot a heel off in his boot, and he fell down, hollering bloody murder. Get out of the way, I bellered, swinging my pistols on the crowd, and they give back in a hurry. Get going, I says, firing some shots under the mule's feet to encourage him, 
and the chuck wagon went out of Gallego jumping and bouncing with Meshack holding on to the seat and hollering blue ruin, and the professor come right behind it in his buggy. I followed the professor, looking back to see nobody didn't shoot me in the back because several men had drawed their pistols. But nobody fired till I was out of good pistol range. Then somebody let loose with a buffalo rifle, but he missed me by at least a foot, so I paid no attention to it, and we was soon out of sight of the town. I was afeard Bearfield might come to and scare the mules with his bellerin, but that brass rail must have been harder than I thought. He was still unconscious when we pulled up to the cabin, which stood in a little wooded cove amongst the hills, a few miles south of Gallego. I told Meshack to unhitch the mules and turn them into the corral whilst I carried Bearfield into the cabin and laid him on a bunk. I told Latimer to bring in all the elixir he had, and he brought ten gallons in one-gallon jugs. I give him all the money I had to pay for it. Pretty soon Bearfield come to and he raised his head and looked at Professor Latimer sitting on a bunk opposite him in his long-tailed coat and plug hat, the cross-eyed nigger and the monkey sitting beside him. Bearfield batted his eyes and said, My God, I must be crazy. This can't be real. Sure, you're crazy, Cousin Bearfield, I soothed him. But don't worry, we're going to cure you. Bearfield, here, interrupted me with a yell that turned Meshack the color of a fish's belly. Untie me, you son of perdition, he roared, heaving and flopping on the bunk like a python with a bellyache, straining against his ropes till the veins knotted blue on his temples. I ought to be in high horse right now, getting married. See there, I sighed to Latimer, it's a sad case. We'd better start dosing him right away. Get a drenching horn. What size dose do you give? A quarter at a shot for a hoss, he says doubtfully. But we'll start out with that, I says. We can increase the size of the dose if we need to. Ignoring Bearfield's terrible remarks, I was just twisting the cork out of a jug when I heard someone say, What the hell are you doing in my shack? I turned around and seen a bow-legged critter with drooping whiskers glaring at me, kind of pop-eyed from the door. What do you mean, your shack? I demanded, irritated at the interruption. This shack belongs to a friend of mine which has lent it to us. You're drunk or crazy, says he, clutching at his whiskers convulsively. Will you get out peaceably, or does I have to get violent? Oh, a cussed claim-jumper, eh? I snorted, taking his gun away from him when he drawed it. But he pulled a buoy, so I throwed him out of the shack and shot into the dust around him a few times, just for warning. I'll get even with you, you big lummox! He howled as he ran for a scrawny-looking sorrel he had tied to the fence. I'll fix you yet, he promised bloodthirstily, as he galloped off, shaking his fist at me. Who do you suppose he was? wondered Latimer, kind of shaky. And I says, what the hell does it matter? Forget the incident and help me give Cousin Bearfield his medicine. That was easier said than did. Tied up as he was, it was all we could do to get that there elixir down him. I thought I never would get his jaws pried open, using the poker for a lever. But when he opened his mouth to cuss me, 
We jammed the horn in before he could close it. He left the marks of his teeth so deep on that horn, it looked like it had been in a bar trap. He kept on heaving and kicking till we'd poured a full dose down him. Then he kind of stiffened out and his eyes went glassy. When we'd taken the horn out, his jaws worked, but he didn't make no sound. But the professor said hosses always acted like that when they'd had a good healthy shot of the remedy. So we left Meshack to watch him, and me and Latimer went out and sat down on the stoop to rest and cool off. Why ain't Meshack unhitched your buggy? I asked. You mean you expect us to stay here overnight? says he aghast. Overnight hell, says I. You stays till he's cured if it takes a year. You may have to make up some more medicine if this ain't enough. You mean to say we got to wrestle with that maniac three times a day like we just did? Squawk Latimer. Maybe he won't be so violent when the remedy takes hold, I encouraged him. Latimer looked like he was going to choke, but just then inside the cabin sounds a yell that even made my hair stand up. Cousin Bearfield had found his voice again. We jumped up, and Meshack came out of the cabin so fast he knocked Latimer out into the yard and fell over him. The monkey was right behind him, streaking it like his tail was on fire. Oh, Lordy, yelled Meshack, heading for the tall timber. That crazy man am bustin' dem ropes like they was twine. He gonna kill us all, show. I run into the shack and seen Cousin Bearfield rolling around on the floor and cussin' amazin', even for him. And to my horror, I seen he'd busted some of the ropes so his left arm was free. I pounced on it, but for a few minutes all I was able to do was just to hold on whilst he throwed me hither and thither around the room with freedom and abandon. At last I kind of wore him down and got his arm tied again, just as Latimer run in and done a snake dance all over the floor. Meshack is gone, he howled. He was so scared he run off with a monkey and my buggy and team. It's all your fault. Being too winded to argue, I just heaved Bearfield up on the bunk and staggered over and sat down on the other, whilst the professor pranced and whooped and swore that I owed him for his buggy and team. Listen, I said when I got my wind back. I spent all my money for that elixir, but when Bearfield recovers his reason, he'll be so grateful he'll be glad to pay you hisself. Now forget such sordid trash as money and devote your scientific knowledge to getting Bearfield sane. Sane, howls Bearfield. Is that what you're doing? Tying me up and poisoning me? I've tasted some awful muck in my life, but I never dreamt nothing could taste as bad as that stuff you poured down me. It plumb paralyzes a man. Let me loose, damn it. Will you be calm if I untie you? I asked. I will, he promised heartily. Just as soon as I festoon the surrounding forest with your entrails. Still violent, I said sadly. We better keep him tied, Professor. But I'm due to get married in High Horse right now, 
Bearfield yelled, given such a convulsive heave that he throwed himself clean off of the bunk. It was his own fault, and there weren't no use in him later blaming me because he hit his head on the floor and knocked himself stiff. Well, I said, at least we'll have a few minutes of peace and quiet around here. Help me lift him back onto his bunk. What's that? yelped the professor, jumping convulsively, as a rifle cracked out in the brush and a bullet whined through the cabin. That's probably droopin' whiskers, I says, lifting Cousin Bearfield. I thought I seen a Winchester on his saddle. Say, it's getting late. See if you can't find some grub in the kitchen. I'm hungry. Well, the professor had an awful case of the willies, but we found some bacon and beans in the shack and cooked em and ate em and fed Bearfield, which he'd come to when he smelt the grub cooking. I don't think Latimer enjoyed his meal much, because every time a bullet hit the shack he jumped and choked on his grub. Droopin' Whiskers was pretty persistent, but he was so far back in the brush he wasn't doing no damage. He was a rotten shot anyhow. All his bullets was way too high, as I pointed out to Latimer. But the professor weren't happy. I didn't dare untie Bearfield to let him eat. So I made Latimer set by him and feed him with a knife. And he was scared and shook so he kept spilling hot beans down Bearfield's collar. And Bearfield's language was awful to hear. Time we got through, it was long past dark, and Droopin' Whiskers had quit shooting at us. As it later appeared, he'd run out of ammunition and had gone to borrow some cartridges from a ranch house some miles away. Bearfield had quit cussing us. He just laid there and glared at us with the most horrible expression I ever seen on a human being. It made Latimer's hair stand up. But Bearfield kept working at his ropes, and I had to examine him every little while and now and then put some new ones on him. So I told Latimer we'd better give him another dose, and when we finally got it down him, Latimer staggered into the kitchen and collapsed under the table, and I was as near wore out myself as an Elkins can get. But I didn't dare sleep for fear Cousin Bearfield would get loose and kill me before I could wake up. I sat down on the other bunk and watched him, and after a while he went to sleep, and I could hear the professor snoring out in the kitchen. About midnight I lit a candle, and Bearfield woke up and said, Blast your soul! You done woke me up out of the sweetest dream I ever had. I dreamt I was fishing for sharks off Mustang Island. What's sweet about that? I asked. I was using you for bait, he said. Hey, what you doing? It's time for your dose, I said. And then the battle started. This time he got my thumb in his mouth and would undoubtedly have chawed it off if I hadn't a kind of stunned him with the iron skillet. Before he could recover himself, I had the elixir down him with the aid of Latimer, which had been woke up by the racket. How long is this going on? Latimer asked despairingly. Ow! It was drooping whiskers again. This time he crawled up pretty close to the house, and his first slug combed the professor's hair. I'm a patient man, but I've reached my limit, I snarled, blowing out the candle and grabbing a shotgun off the wall. Stay here and watch Bearfield whilst I go out and hang drooping whiskers hide to the nearest tree. I snuck out of the cabin on the opposite side from where the shot come from and begun to sneak around in a circle through the brush. 
The moon was come up, and I knowed I could out-engine droopin' whiskers. Any Bear Creek man could. Sure enough, pretty soon I slid around a clump of bushes and seen him bending over behind a thicket whilst he took aim at the cabin with a Winchester. So I emptied both barrels into the seat of his breeches, and he gave a most amazing howl and jumped higher than I ever seen a bow-legged feller jump and dropped his Winchester and taken out up the trail toward the north. I was determined to run him clean off the range this time, so I pursued him and shot at him every now and then, but the dern gun was loaded with bird shot, and all the shells I'd grabbed along with it was the same. I'd never seen a white man run like he did. I never got close enough to do no real damage to him, and after I'd chased him a mile or so, he turned off into the brush, and I soon lost him. Well, I made my way back to the road again and was just fixin' to step out of the brush and start down the road toward the cabin when I heard hosses comin' from the north. So I stayed behind a bush, and pretty soon a gang of men come round the bend, walkin' their hosses, with the moonlight glintin' on Winchesters in their hands. Easy now, says one. The cabin ain't far down the road. We'll ease up and surround it before they know what's happening. I wonder what the shootin' was we heard a while back, says another, and kind of nervous. Maybe they was fightin' amongst theirselves, says yet another. No matter. We'll rush in and settle the big feller's hash before he knows what's happenin'. Then we'll string Buckner up. Why you reckon they kidnapped Buckner for? Some feller begin. But I waited for no more. I riz up from behind the bushes and the hosses snorted and reared. Hang a helpless fella because he's licked you in a fair fight, eh? I bellered and let go both barrels amongst them. They was riding so close grouped, don't think I missed any of them. The way they hollered was disgusting to hear. The hosses was scared at the flash and roar right in their faces, and they wheeled and bolted, and the whole gang went thundering up the road a dern sight faster than they'd come. I sent a few shots after em with my pistols, but they didn't shoot back, and pretty soon the weeping and wailing died away in the distance. A fine mob they turned out to be but I thought they might come back, so I sot down behind a bush where I could watch the road from Gallego, and the first thing I knowed I went to sleep, in spite of myself. When I woke up it was just coming daylight. I jumped up and grabbed my guns, but nobody was in sight. I guess them Gallego gents had got a belly full. So I headed back to the cabin, and when I got there the corral was empty and the chuck wagon was gone. I started on a run for the shack. Then I seen a note stuck on the corral fence. I grabbed it. It said, Dear Elkins, this strain is too much for me. I'm getting white-haired sitting and watching this devil laying there, glaring at me, and wondering all the time how soon he'll bust loose. I'm pulling out. I'm taking the chuck wagon and team in payment for my rig that Meshack ran off with. I'm leaving the elixir, but I doubt if it'll do Buckner any good. It's for locoed critters, not homicidal maniacs. Respectfully yours, 
Horace J. Latimer, Esquire. Hell's fire, I said, wrathfully starting for the shack. I don't know how long it took Bearfield to wiggle out of his ropes. Anyway, he was laying for me behind the door with the iron skillet, and if the handle hadn't broke off when he landed me over the head with it, he might have did me an injury. I don't know how I ever managed to throw him, because he fit like a frothin' maniac, and every time he managed to break loose from me he grabbed the jug of Latimer's local elixir and busted it over my head. By the time I managed to stun him with a table leg, he'd busted every jug on the place, and the floor was swimming in elixir, and my clothes was soaked in it, where they wasn't soaked with blood. I fell on him and tied him up again, then sought on a bunk, and tried to get my breath back, and wondered what in hell to do, because here the elixir was all gone, and I didn't have no way of treating Bearfield, and the professor had run off with a chuck-wagon, so I hadn't no way to get him back to civilization. And then, all at once, I heard a train whistle away off to the west and remembered that the track passed through just a few miles to the south. I did all I could for Bearfield. Only thing I could do now was get him back to his folks, where they could take care of him. I run out and whistled for Captain Kidd and he busted out from around the corner of the house where he'd been laying for me, and tried to kick me in the belly before I could get ready for him. But I weren't fooled. He's tried that trick too many times. I dodged and give him a good bust in the nose. Then I throwed the bridle and saddle on him, and brung Cousin Bearfield out and throwed him across the saddle and headed south. That must have been the road both Meshack and Latimer taken when they run off. It crossed the railroad track about three miles from the shack. The train had been whistling for high horse when I first heard it. I got to the track before it come into sight. I flagged it and it pulled up, and the train crew jumped down and wanted to know what the hell I was stopping em for. I got a man here which needs medical attention, I says. It's a case of temporary insanity. I'm sending him back to Texas. Hell, says they, this train don't go nowheres near Texas. Well, I says, you unload him at Dodge City. He's got plenty of friends there which'll see that he gets took care of. I'll send word from High Horse to his folks in Texas, telling them to go after him. So they loaded Cousin Bearfield on, him being still unconscious, and I give the conductor his watch and chain and pistol to pay for his fare. Then I headed along the track for High Horse. When I got to High Horse, I tied Captain Kidd nigh the track and started for the depot, when who should I run smack into but old man Mulholland, who immediately gave a howl like a hungry timber wolf. "'Where's the grub, you hoss thief?' he yelled before I could say nothing. "'Why, didn't Lim Campbell bring it out to you?' I asked. I never seen a man by that name, he bellered. Where's my fifty bucks? Heck, I says, he looked honest. Who? yowled old man Mulholland. Who, you polecat? Lem Campbell, the man I give the dough to for him to buy the grub, I says. Oh, well, never mind. I'll work out the fifty. The old man looked like he was fixing to choke. He gurgled. Where's my chuck wagon? 
A feller stole it, I said, but I'll work that out, too. You won't work for me, foamed the old man, pulling a gun. You're fired. As for the dough and the wagon, I take some out of your hide here and now. Well, I'd taken the gun away from him, of course, and tried to reason with him. But he just hollered that much louder and got his knife out and made a pass at me. Now, it always did irritate me for someone to stick a knife in me, so I'd taken it away from him and throwed him into a nearby hoss trough. It was one of these here V-shaped troughs which narrows together at the bottom, and somehow his fool head got wedged and he was about to drown. Quite a crowd had gathered, and they tried pulling him out by the hind legs, but his feet was waving around in the air so wild that every time anyone tried to grab him, they got spurred in the face. So I went over to the trough and taken hold of the sides and tore it apart. He fell out and spit up maybe a gallon of water. And the first words he was able to say, he accused me of trying to drown him on purpose, which shows how much gratitude people has got. But a man spoke up and says, Hell, big fella didn't do it on purpose. I was right here and I seen it all. And another one said, I seen it as good as you did, and the big feller did try to drown him, too. Are you calling me a liar? said the first feller, reaching for his gun. But just then another man chipped in and said, I don't know what the argument's about, but I bet a dollar you're both wrong. And then some more fellers butted in, and everybody started cussing and hollering till it nigh deafened me. Somebody else reaches for a gun, and I seen that as soon as one feller shoots another, there is bound to be trouble, so I started to gentle the first one by hitting him over the head. Next thing I know, someone hollers at me, you big hyener, and tries to ruin me with a knife. Pretty soon there's hitting and shooting all over the town. High horse is sure on a rampage. I just had finished blunting my colts on a varmint's head when I thinks disgustedly, heck, Elkins, you come to this town on a mission of good will. You got business to do. You got your poor family to think about. I started to go on to the depot, but I heard a familiar voice screech above the racket. There he is, Sheriff. Arrest the dern claim jumper. I whirled around quick, and there was Droopin' Whiskers, a saddle blanket wrapped around him like an engine and walking pretty spraddle-legged. He was pintin' at me and hollering like I did something to him. Everybody else quieted down for a minute, and he hollered, Arrest him, dern him! He throwed me out of my own cabin and ruined my best pants with my own shotgun. I've been to Knife River and come back several days quicker'n I aimed to, and this here big hyener was in charge of my shack. He was too dern big for me to handle, so I come to high horse after the sheriff. Soon as I got three or four hundred bird shot picked out of my hide. What you got to say about this? asked the sheriff, kinda uncertain, like he weren't enjoying his job for some reason or other. Why, hell, I says disgustedly. I throwed this varmint out of a cabin, sure, and later peppered his anatomy with bird shot. But I was in my rights. I was in a cabin which had been loaned me by a man named Lem Campbell. Lem Campbell, 
shrieked Droopin' Whiskers, jumping up and down so hard he nigh lost the blanket he was wearing instead of breeches. That whatless critter ain't got no cabin. He was working for me till I fired him just before I started for Knife River for being so triflin'. Hell's fire, I says, shocked. Ain't there no honesty any more? Shucks, stranger, it looks like the joke's on me. At this, Droopin' Whiskers collapsed into the arms of his friends with a low moan. And the sheriff says to me uncomfortably, Don't take this personal, but I'm afeard I'll have to arrest you, if you don't mind. Just then a train whistled away off to the east, and someone says, What the hell? They ain't no train from the east due this time of day. Then the depot agent run out of the depot, waving his arms, yelling, Get them cows off on the track! I just got a flash from Knife River. The train's coming back. A maniac named Buckner busted loose and made the crew turn her around at the switch. Orders gone down the line to open the track all the way. She's coming under full head of steam. Nobody knows where Buckner's taking her. He's looking for some relative of his'n. There was a lot of noise coming down that track, and all of it weren't the noise that a steam engine makes by itself. No, that noise was a different noise all right. That noise was right familiar to me. It struck a chord in my mind. It made me wonder kind of what happened to them train men. Can that be Bearfield Buckner? wondered a woman. It sounds like him. Well, if it is, he's too late to get Ann Wilkins. What? I yelled. Is they a gal in this town named Ann Wilkins? They was, she snickered. She was to marry this Buckner man yesterday, but he never showed up. And when her old beau, Lynn Campbell, come along with fifty dollars he'd got someplace, she up and married him. They lit out for San Francisco on their honeymoon. Why, what's the matter, young man? You look right green in the face. Maybe it's something you et. It weren't nothing I et. It was the thoughts I was thinking. Here I had gone and ruined Cousin Bearfield's whole future, and out of kindness. That's what busted me wide open. I had ruined Cousin Bearfield's future out of kindness. My motives had been of the loftiest. I'd tried to cure a hombre what was loco from going locoer yet. And what was my reward? What was my reward? Just that moment I looks up and seen a cloud of smoke a-puffin' down the track, and they is a-roarin' like the roarin' of a herd of catamounts. Here she comes round the bend, someone yelled. She's burnin' up the track. Listen to that whistle, just bustin' it wide open. But I was already a straddle captain kid and travelin'. The man which says I'm scared of Bearfield is a liar. Uh, Elkins fears neither man, beast, nor Buckner. But I seen that Lim Campbell had worked me into getting Bearfield out of his way, and if I waited till Bearfield got there, I'd have to kill him or get killed, and I didn't crave to do neither. I headed south, 
just to save Cousin Bearfield's life, and I didn't stop till I was in Durango. Let me tell you, the revolution I got mixed up in there was a plum restful relief after my association with Cousin Bearfield. End of High Horse Rampage <laughs>